So we left off uh, with the 55th Anucheta in the last discussion. And that Anucheta was explaining that the partial expansions of the Supreme Lord are also transcendental. And the example that was given in that Anucheta was the expansions where Krishna took on the forms of all the calves and the cow herds. And the reason we can look at those as far as the explanation of the Anucheta as partial expansions is Krishna manifested them as Vishnus, if you remember at the end. He showed Brahma these forms of Vishnu, and that's what what is being referred to in the verse, which is the evidential verse uh, for the knowledge that's being given. So I want to take off where we stopped. I'm going to read a little bit more from uh, Jiva Goswami's Anucheta. I'll just read it and then explain it. Therefore, other statements such as he is the embodiment of pure consciousness, Visuddha, Vijnana, Gana, Ganam. And another quote, Unto him who is pure knowledge personified, Visuddha, Jnana, Murtaye, and in you whose body is full of bliss and knowledge eternally, Twayeva, Nichasuka, Bodha, Tanu, Tadam. One should not be distorted by applying a secondary meaning such as Brahman. So what Jeeva Goswami is saying here is one could look at these statements of the Bhagavatam and and apply a apply the Brahman concept of the absolute, an embodiment of pure consciousness. In other words, the supreme all encompassing spiritual energy has taken on an embodiment of pure consciousness. The other statement, unto him who is pure knowledge personified. Jiva is saying here, we can't take the, and all these statements, all these statements are taken from the Bhagavatam itself. So he's taking different parts of the Bhagavatam verses, and he's saying we need to be careful and not look at these kind of comments as being a presentation of the Supreme Absolute as anything more than personal in nature. Don't think that the Supreme Impersonal, Brahman, took on, takes on a form. That is not what's happening here. The Supreme Energy is not taking a form this form is non-different from the Supreme Absolute. This is a, an important point for us because it's, it's difficult for us who only have knowledge of embodiment within the elements of material nature to understand that, this, that there is spiritual embodiment both for the Lord himself and for the and per, protect, I'm sorry, perfected living entities which is a spiritual embodiment. It's not that you become spiritual and you just 
you lose personality. You don't lose personality. You become a perfect personality. It's a difference. So that's the first thing that Jeeva's saying is don't take these statements improperly. He goes on, similarly, no other meaning. Don't in, interpret what is being said with a different meaning. And let's just take it for what it says. No other meaning can be taken when it is said that the women of Mathura had a vision of Krishna's form of bliss, Anantamurti, and that Kubja embraced it. Then the quote from the Bhagavatam regarding Kubja and the women of Mathura. The women of Mathura said, with their uh, it's said of the women of Mathura, that with, with their eyes, the women of Mathura took in and held Krishna's form full of bliss. So they saw the Lord, and, well, they were women of Mathura. They had other husbands. <laughs> they were married to other men. So, but he captured their heart, spiritually, not with any lustful thing, but they were just, wow, what a person. I would really like to give this guy a hug. My gosh, they. I mean, they... He was the most beautiful person they'd ever, beautiful man that they'd ever seen. And they wanted to embrace him, but they couldn't. Social, the social norms of being, living in Mathura were such that they couldn't embrace this young Krishna, young 16-year-old man, beautiful specimen, but they wanted to. So they pulled him into their heart by looking at him and they embraced him there. Now, of course, Mathura is a big metropolis. It has a whole variety of different kinds of people. And in a huge metropolis, there are all kinds of people of different ethical standards. So the women of Mathura, the, the social women of Mathura, they could only pull Krishna into their heart through their eyes and embrace him there. They couldn't go up to him and embrace him. It would have been just unheard of for a chaste woman to do such a thing. But there was another woman in Mathura, and her name was Kuja. And her profession was she was a prostitute. And when she saw Krishna, she grabbed onto him physically in plain sight of everybody. And similarly, Kubja embraced her lover, the personification of bliss, holding him between her breasts with both arms and thus gave up her long-standing suffering. The suffering referred to here is her lust for Krishna. I mean, she was that was her bit stock and trade. But when she saw Krishna, that was the supreme, the supreme object of her, uh, of her lustfulness. And it's a it's an interesting story. 
although that was her trade, she wasn't really the most attractive prostitute in 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 the city. She had a bit of a, she was the hunchback, correct? Mm-hmm. So she, she still was a prostitute, but you know what you would see with your vision there and what Mathura was during the time of Krishna 5,000 years ago would probably be a, a bit of a difference. So although we read about a Mathura 5,000 years ago, I don't expect to see that Mathura when you go over to India. It's changed a bit. When Krishna came to Mathura, Kubja just fell in love with him. He was such a beautiful young boy. Immediately, she she had to to invite him back to her place, and and he was like he was with his friends, and he was you know he was like you know you could imagine a prostitute just walking up to him on the street, and oh my gosh, what a I've never seen a young man like you. I have to take you back. I can I can make you a man. <laughs> Krishna's. Krishna's with his friends. And he says, eh, nah, not today. Probably best not today. Um, later, I'll come to your place. So I just tried to put her, apparently put her off, but he is the supreme, so his word is true. And so at that time, she offered the sandalwood paste mm-hmm. to Krishna and also invited him to meet with her her place and he thanked her I guess I'm sure he was grateful for the sandalwood paste and not so anxious to go back to her place but he, he did those funny words he said oh beautiful straight woman or beautiful tall woman yeah. Yeah. yeah and he put two fingers under her chin stepped on her feet stepped on her toes and pulled her up and she immediately her her Hunchback was gone. Later he did pay her a visit. So that's who's being spoken of here. She embraced her directly. The whole point Jeeva's trying to get across is you can't look at this with another meaning and be true to what the Bhagavatam is saying. Now in the Mahabharata Purana, it also states this. All the forms of the Supreme Lord are eternal, unchanging, and devoid of all that is either rejectable or acceptable, because they are never the product of material nature. Their forms are a fluid mass of highly concentrated supreme bliss, purely conscious in nature. The dualism of body and of body and embodied does not exist in the Lord. What do we call that? Achinta beta beta. It's part of this aspect. Inconceivably simultaneously one and different. The Lord is the embodiment of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. And he's also, that embodiment does not detract from the fact that he is also spread throughout the entirety of existence as spiritual energy, as Brahman. So as we said, this particular verse, which is the Brahman verse for this Anucheda, 
regarding Brahma's vision, his experience of Krishna manifesting as all the young calves and cowherds is is the theistic reality of the concept of achinta beta beta tattva. Thus the verse states that the glory of these forms was beyond the reach even of the knowers of the self who see through the eyes of the Upanishads. Now this is important because gradually Jiva is going to work us into a concept of understanding that we need a little bit more than just the statements of the Vedas in order to see the Supreme. That'll take us so far. So it says, this is Jiva writing, the Upanishads describe the Absolute as truth, awareness, the infinite Brahman, satyam gyanam anantam brahma, taitatreya Upanishad, the joy the knower of the joy of Brahman, Anandam Brahmano Vidvan, uh, similarly, and so on. From statements such as these, scholars of non-theistic persuasion assume that the Absolute has no form. It's naturally that they read these statements of the Upanishads and, 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 they, nat- and they come to the conclusion, well, God cannot have a form. He's what? Satyam Janam Anantam Brahma. He's ever existing. He's aware. He's unlimited, infinite. So, how can he have a form? Well, he can because it's inconceivable to us, inconceivably one and different, inconceivably. He can manifest a form and also be all-pervasive. He doesn't, his form is not an imposition placed upon him like our forms are an imposition placed upon us. We are also spirit soul, but we have a form which is more of a prison house than of the nature of our true existence of, of blissfulness the smallest of inconveniences with this body can can create, uh, you know, terrible misery. So how does Krishna have forms? We all have forms for him. Here. They're all spiritual. Even this form is uh, fully spiritual. That's a whole process that's brought about by... It's just like the holy name. His holy name is not different from himself. Let me and continue. He's everywhere, yes. all the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how can you just give Achinta. ones more, more power or more worship or devotion? Achinta, it's inconceivable. But that doesn't mean that we cannot understand through good through study and hearing. It's revealed. It's revealed. It's subdebrahman. The Lord will reveal Himself through sound vibration. We just have to continue to hear, and all these inconceivable spiritual truths will manifest to us.
to us and we will understand how the Lord can have a localized form and still be all-pervading. It's not conceivable to material mind and logic. Go ahead. I I think she's asking this. Tell me if I'm wrong. If Krishna is everywhere, she's accepting that. That part's got. Why do we worship Krishna in the form of a deity as opposed to worshiping Krishna in a tree or in any other thing where Krishna is because everything is Krishna. Why do we worship him here as opposed to there? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Because I worship nature and commune with God through nature and the creation. So why not worship him in a form like this too? Because that's man-made. Huh? It's man-made and... Who made the tree? Somebody carved that. Another man made that. And who made who made the seed that turned into the tree? My creator, our creator. Okay, he didn't make the marble that's in the mountain. It's yes, but these forms are man-made. Who inspired the man to carve the form? Well, I don't know his int- intentions, so I don't know. Okay, we don't know. I agree with that. We don't. We can't know the intention, but we can know the intention of the man who. Ask the Lord to accept our service through the form. We can accept the fact that there are spiritualists, there are sadhus, and sadhus. There are. I think. I think one of the first things in a lot of what you 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 question comes to an appreciation of the fact that. There's a misconception among among spiritual seekers that that everybody's on the same level. But the fact is, we can see practically in life that that conception doesn't hold even in human society. There are drunkards, and there are kings. There are prostitutes and there are fine chaste ladies. There are renegade biker thieves. I hate to I hate to look at any one group, but you see what I'm saying. Not everyone is on the same level, even in material life. Some people are There are murderers and there's <laughs> snakes. And those are all characteristics. People. Yes. So, so there are those. What's that? That doesn't actually define the person. Okay, it doesn't define the person in what regard. Because do you want to? Let me heart. ask. Huh? We don't know their heart. Okay, so you're saying that I can't use discrimination to determine. Whether I want to associate with a gang of of thugs who go out and rape every woman they see, I don't know their heart. I can't tell what they're about. As opposed to associating with all these fine devotees here who are helping me make spiritual advancement. Mm-hmm. Yes, their actions are dictating their character, 
doesn't mean they're going to be like that their entire lives. Uh, did I say so, that they no. were going to be like that their no. entire lives? No. Okay, so the point I'm trying to make in this analogy is we need to understand, of course, the potentiality for spiritual perfection is there in every living entity and no one will deny that. There is, however, a difference in the qualification of people based on how much they are taking advantage of that potentiality personally. In our tradition, certain people that have, they have characteristics both in their character and in their, their spiritual knowledge and in what can be directly experienced in their association of their, of their spiritual status. And therefore, when we come into that association, it forces us to fall on our knees. The weight of their spirituality is, you, you can't question it when you're in their presence. We accept that there are certain people that are like that. And I'm not one of them. But I want to be one of them. I want to be like them. I don't want to take anything from them or be like them for any false reason. I really want to see life through their eyes, to read scripture through their heart, to, to be able to influence others as they have influenced me for, the, for their betterment. You judge a lot more on potentiality and the equality of potentiality, and we agree with that point entirely. There's no question of that. The only thing is, we also understand that for us, not for everybody, there are certain people, it doesn't matter who they hang out with, they're so spiritually advanced, they can go out with the, bank, with the, with the bad element of society and not be adversely affected. I'm not one of those people, and most people aren't. Therefore, we encourage good association, and we, would, and we like to develop a discrimination where we can perceive saintly association. And when we see that in an individual, we want to we stay there. That's good for us. That's called sangha, good spiritual association. These gradations are there in both society of man in and in the society of spiritualists. Different grades. When, when a really spiritually advanced person has fully come into contact with the Supreme, he exhibits certain characteristics. It's certainly in our best interest to be able to even if we can't perceive them because you know we don't know everything still to to recognize that I'm losing my trend of thought I want to get to the point where they they are they're worthy 
of our time and interest. I guess we'll just leave it there for now. You look to the deity and you say, well, why do you worship the deity and not the tree? Well, we do worship the tree and we do worship the deity. The deity has been given to us by our spiritual preceptors, the whole line of them, have recommended this worship done in this way with this, you know, you, you, if, you, if you begin to serve the deity, and when the deity's installed, it's a whole ceremony, the guru, the saint, invites the Lord to take the form. I've personally heard, although I didn't see it personally, that when my spiritual master would see the deity, he would, and he had installed the deities and given charge of taking care of the deities to his young ex-hippie students who had just begun spiritual life, who were six months ago living on Haight-Ashbury and taking drugs, and now they're living in a Hare Krishna temple, and they're trying to worship the deity form under his direction. He's saying, you cook like this, you make sure everything's super clean, of everything that's, that's to be done, cleanliness is the number one thing when it comes to taking care of the deity. You dress the deity, you offer prayers to the deity, you, you offer worship to the deity with different things of the earth and the fire and the water and the, you do all this. And, and it was actually said many times that people heard Prabhupada praying and praying to his students, please understand how important this is. I've, in God, I've invited God here to take your worship. Please don't mistreat him. How much faith do we put in the deity worship? As much as our guru invited the, the Lord himself to enter this form just so we, who can't see him in every tree, who can't see him everywhere personally, could have an opportunity to worship him. So that's the difference between this worship. It's given to us by, by somebody that's dear to our heart, and we're trying to become dear to their heart, and we have full confidence that they know God personally and have the power to invite him to take our love. And that's the difference between tree worship and deity worship to us. There's a few things I want to uh, finish up here with this uh, Anucheta. So the verse says, however, that the Lord's form, Mortaya, the Lord's forms, again the verse is talking about all the different forms, Vishnu forms that manifested, that that are the core of the this what's trying to be conveyed here. So Brahma's seeing all these forms of Vishnu where he just a second ago has saw, saw all these cowherd boys and calves. So the Lord tr transformed and manifested Vishnu forms. Those Mortayas, those Mortis, this is also a Morti, those Mortis are Satya, Jnana, Ananta, Ananda, Matra, 
unalloyed being, consciousness, infinity, and bliss alone. This is beyond the conception of scholars. Again, we're coming back to the point that Jiva's used that example of just looking to the Upanishads is not going to give you the vision that Brahma had. You can understand some things by hearing. You can have some vision, some darshan, but it's not the same. This is going to be brought out even more in the next Anucheta. This is beyond the conception of such scholars because Krishna can be understood only through the conscious potency of bliss inherent in his own essential being. And that potency is what is meant by unalloyed devotion, as the Shruti declares. Again, back to a verse from the Katha Upanishad. The Supreme Lord cannot be attained by mere study of the Vedas, nor through the intellect, nor by hearing. Only one who is blessed by the Lord can attain him, and only to such a person does the Lord reveal his form. Only one who is blessed by the Lord can attain him, and only to such a person does the Lord reveal his form. So there's a personal connection with the Supreme that's made to such an extent that he feels owned by his devotee through their devotion. And that ownership by the devotee impels the Lord to want to reveal himself personally. We can imagine what what Brahma's experiencing here, that that Krishna, even though he never said a word to Brahma, still the what he's revealed to Brahma during the Brahma Mohan Leela is just it's extraordinary. He didn't didn't he didn't need to whisper it just like Lord Chaitanya with uh, uh, Sarvabhuma Bhattacharya. He just sat there and didn't say a word. But the what he spoke by not opening his mouth spoke volumes. Look at what I can look at. This is my nature. Morty in the verse does not mean Atma or Brahman, for Brahma saw these forms with his own eyes. I mean, really, if you look to Brahman when you're looking at what is the definition of Brahman? It has no attributes. Well, if it has no attributes, how can you see Brahman? So when you read in the Upanishads about Brahman, don't equate that with the Lord's form, although it is the Lord's energy. A little more discussion on the Dvaitavad. The Dvaitavadis proposed that these forms were bodies of Brahman or solidified Brahman. Again, we come back to that same difficulty where the Brahmavadis, they want it both ways. They want to say that the Brahman cannot be qualified in any way before, because to qualify Brahman would mean that Brahman was material. Brahman cannot be influenced by the material energy because it's fully spiritual. 
But then they then when it suits their purpose, they'll take the same thing and they'll say, well, what the form of the Brahma saw were solidified. It was solidified Brahman. How could Brahman be solidified? Is Brahman like water? You could put it in the ref- in the freezer and turn it into ice. I mean, really, is is what? It, it doesn't make sense. Either it can be qualified or it can't. We say that it can't, and we also say Krishna's form cannot be qualified because it isn't material. Such a meaning does not suit the context and is also contrary to logic. Brahman has no manifest qualities and thus can neither accept form nor become solidified. That's our understanding. According to Advaitin philosophers, Brahman cannot be named since the act of naming introduces a plurality, a plurality, the name, the meaning of the name, and the object referred to by the name. There's three distinct things. So how can you name? But that doesn't mean that the Supreme doesn't have a name. He just doesn't have a spiritual, a material name. His name's fully spiritual. Jiva Goswami says, in this case, it is improper to apply the secondary meaning as the Advaitins would like to in referring to these verses from the Bhagavatam. They also study the Bhagavatam, but they, you know, he says, in this instance, their utilization of the secondary meaning does not make sense. An obtruse exercise of imagination Moreover, such an explanation is supported neither by Sridhar Swami. What more do we have to, What more do we need than the most authorized commentator on the Bhagavatam, according to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, at his time? What What more do we need than that? Sridhar says that's not what it means. Well, we accept that. We accept the sadhu. Nor does Sukadev Goswami say it in that way, who's presenting the pastime to the sages of Namasuranya. He said it does he didn't say it mean meant that at all. We'll end with this. If Krishna's body were material or inferior to Brahman, Sukadev Goswami would not have been attracted to his devotional service. Is the core element of the revelation of Sukadev which is the foundation upon which the Bhagavatam is put forth. What, what makes the Bhagavatam of any interest to us? The revelation of Vyasadeva, the author, and the revelation of Sukadeva, the speaker. Sri Sukadeva Goswami gave up Brahman for the Krishna conception. General psychology in a person does general psychology in a person is that they do not give up something that is inferior unless there's something superior. He walked away from the Brahman conception and accepted the Krishna conception. People don't do that if the conceptions would have been that the Krishna conception was inferior. From the Bhagavatam, 
13th chapter of the 10th canto. Thus, for a moment, the unworn Brahma held all these aspects of the Supreme Brahman, the self and of all, by whose effulgence this entire universe is moving, I'm sorry, of moving and non-moving creatures is revealed. For a moment, it all made sense to him. The whole understanding of, of how the Lord is in everything, but distinct from everything. How the jivas are manifestations of his spiritual energy, purely. All the cows and the cowherds, and how at their very core, they're also the Supreme Himself. So all these various intricate and esoteric truths regarding the nature of the Lord and the living entities became apparent to him in this revelation. In other words, Brahma saw that all the calves and boys were simultaneously non-different from the Supreme Lord. Thank you so much for your I'm association. I'm repeating it because this is my first time hearing it. Okay. What you got to do is chop. Keep snubbing, chop. Teeter, numb, bum, and be all. Wish the video, the wall, the maha.